0: welcome to for the long run the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long strong and motivated i'm your host jonathan levitt through personal and professional connections in the running world i have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes i've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more i hope you enjoy Welcome back today. I have Emma Spencer joining me from Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Emma, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on the podcast today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me
0: for sure. So as, as a frequent listener of the podcast, I think, you know, what's coming next. Uh, who is Emma?
1: Oh my gosh. I've been preparing for this all morning and I still don't think I have a good answer, but I'll give you kind of my, my dual answer. Um, yeah, I'm an amateur distance runner. I'm a software engineer. Um I never love like defining yourself by like what you do for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I'll say that I'm just always trying to figure out what makes me happy and how to be a good person in the world and um balance that with, yeah, just the things I love to do.
0: Cool. So let's dive head first. Um, You said you're always looking for ways to be a good person in the world. Uh, About 45 minutes ago, I saw a post of yours on Instagram that said, um, donate and I'll match it. Um, Can you talk to me about what that was?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we're recording this, I mean, even less time ago, 10 minutes ago, the um, murder of George Lloyd in Minnesota was just um, taken into custody. And so that was, uh, in reference to donating to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um, there's, you know, protests going on, um, in Minneapolis and in other cities, uh, including Louisville, Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor was murdered. Um, and I mean, there've been a lot of horrendous, you know, murders of black men and women over the past few years. And it, this week in particular, you know, there've been a lot of, um, it just, the intensity has grown. So I think, uh, I'm trying to, you know, educate myself and have conversations with my friends, but I can also donate money. And, um, I just think it's, you know, my responsibility to, to do that since I have the means and encourage other people to do the same.
0: Yeah. It's, So I saw, I saw that same, um, that same request, uh, this morning on Twitter and I had been scrolling Twitter and, you know, as a straight white male, like I accept that I have privilege and I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know how to pass that along or take advantage of it in the right way. Um, and I was feeling a little helpless and, I'll caveat this whole episode by what we talked about originally. Um, we're going to take some risks in how we talk about this, and definitely open to feedback. Uh, I don't know the right way to steer this conversation, but um, as we agreed on, it's probably better to have it and make mistakes than to to brush it under the rug. Um, so, with that said, uh, as I was saying, like I don't know what I don't know how I can help. Um, I don't, and and that's like a that's a hard place to be in for someone who likes to help and and likes to be able to um you know help people and so I've had I've had some conversations on the podcast I've had some conversations with friends about about what can be done um Latoya Shante Snell was a podcast guest that I had on recently and she's been uh very outspoken on this uh, in a very good way and um, has been sharing resources and really, like, like you said, the easiest thing to do is to donate, to, to fund these, um, resources that, um, that support what's going on or, or oppose what's going on, I guess. Um, but are you in, have you felt a similar reaction? Like, I don't know what to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, Hard because you know I think it's on me to figure out what to do, um, and um, I think incredibly appropriately the a lot of the call to actions for um, white people like us is to listen and read and self educate, um, and so I've been doing that, and um, yeah, I think it's the impulse is totally there to want to take action. And I think like us finding ways to take action is incredibly important, right? Like we can't leave the protesting and the, you know, making actual change of these systemic problems. We can't leave that to um, the people that are directly impacted by these broken systems. Um, but yeah, it's a total struggle. I, I haven't figured out what to do except, read and learn, um, expose myself to more diverse voices of people who are sharing things online. Um, and yeah, to give money. So I feel you and I don't have an answer for myself yet.
0: Yeah. It's just like running, like get uncomfortable, figure out ways that are different than what you're currently doing and, and see if everybody can grow as a result. So, um, like I said, I, I don't know how to, how to steer this type of conversation, but what I, what the sort of call to action here is, um, tell us what, you know, give it, give, give some feedback. And if you're listening in, um, you know, just awareness, I think is like the most basic level and then action follows from that, um,
1: I can I let me just jump in here I think I might have misspoken and said George Lloyd when I meant George Floyd so I just want to clear that up and say George Floyd
0: got it yep got it yes um yeah an unfortunate it's an unfortunate reality in in today's day and age I woke up to seeing you know a a black man arrested on as he was reporting on CNN Mm -hmm. um it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, but again, as you said, I think it's, on a day like today, it, it's uh, a disservice to not acknowledge what's going on and a disservice to not talk about it. Um, yeah,
1: and I, I also want to note that, like, it's such, you know, an immense privilege that we have that we are just kind of being feeling hit with this now right for for a lot of people this is has been something they are actively engaged in for a long time and it's been totally been our white privilege to um care but not do more up until this point
0: absolutely so what has 2020 been like for you in general
1: um Gosh, it really feels like there's two 2020s. There's, like a roller coaster. Yeah. Right? There's the first two months, and then there's this weird limbo. Um, the rest of the year so far. Yeah. So, um, first two months were kind of the the meat of my training for the Olympic track or the Olympic marathon trials, um, which were February 29th. And, uh, after that, you know, March was a break from running, some you know time completely off, some time with very easy running, and then kind of as shutdowns escalated quickly through March, the easy running kind of extended um, to just kind of like base training maintenance phase. Um, like I said, my work actually hasn't changed that much since I work from home anyway. Um, and my boyfriend's work changed, but he was still going in. He works in a hospital, um, as a radiologist. Uh, so our, I mean, our day to day during, during a lot of this lockdown, like hasn't actually changed much, but obviously my focus has shifted intensely from like two months of how do I maximize every minute of my day for work and running and going to the gym and like all the other things that need to happen has really shifted to oh I just have all of this time I'm not training that hard I'm not you know occasionally I would go work somewhere out of the house I'm not doing that I'm not going to appointments shopping whatever um you know I had three trips to Boston planned in the 6 weeks after the trials and those didn't happen. So it's just been like a expansion of free time that I've never had since I really started running seriously the past few years. Um, so kind of just like figuring out who I am without all the stuff I do, which I think I've heard other runners say as well, you know, like who are you if you're not racing? Um, it's it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it it the impulse is to just like not figure it out and just wait until races start again and just dive right back in but um it's been an interesting process for sure
0: yeah absolutely um one of the questions that uh our mutual friend Brian Kent had was what part of running gives you value and and what is that what is that value and so i think that's like right in line with what you're saying like you are a runner, but you're not training for anything. And, and so I'm, I'm definitely curious. And this is a a question I've explored with a lot of recent guests and something, you know, I've explored personally as well. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm curious uh, what it is for you.
1: I like that question a lot. Um, I, yeah. Oh my gosh. Shout out to (laughs) Brian. He's just so thoughtful (laughs) and insightful. Um, A lot of my running has been about building confidence and also about kind of, um, proving to myself that I, I, I can do it and I can do it, you know, at a level that I think I can. Um, and so there's a, you know, with that comes competition. And so I, you know, I've seen people during this time with no races who are really feeling like they've reconnected with the spirit of running and why they love it so much and just running for the sake of it. And I totally would run six days a week if there were no races ever again. Like I do just really enjoy connecting with myself and connecting with friends on the run. But a big part of it is also the competing with myself and competing with others. and um, there's just something really great about that. You know, like women are not necessarily as, um, told as much as men to see competition as a good thing, um, and see, you know, aspiration as a good thing. Um, and really, really wanting something. And why
0: why do you think that is?
1: Um, well, we're, we're taught to be, you know, the good girl and be accommodating and, um, you know, get along with everyone. And obviously, like, I would love to get along with everybody. And, um, I like to think I get along with a lot of people, but there's, you know, you can, there's a difference between being in a race situation and trying your best and trying to beat someone. Um, and, you know, like, you can still be nice <laughs> and and do that too. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a conditioning thing. We're really taught to, um, appease and accommodate. Um, so, but your original question of, what, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Brian. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So r- for me, it's a twofold thing of, um, I do just really, really enjoy it. And it is definitely something that settles my mind every day. Um, but I also just love to see what I'm capable of.
0: So what is it? So when did you realize that you were, you were pretty good at it? Cause you've gone, you've gotten pretty fast. You got what a two thirty seven marathon to your name.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I played soccer and like a little bit of lacrosse growing up. Um, I was always kind of the fastest one running up and down the field. But as soon as you like passed me the ball, I couldn't do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> like no joke. Um, And yeah, so I always knew that I was like pretty fast. I was also really tall for my age, so that probably helped. Um, And then going into high school, you know, my sister had run um, track and cross country, and all my friends were signing up for cross country, so I signed up too. And like, I didn't even do middle middle school track. Um, Running didn't actually seem that appealing. Um, My friends were doing it, and yeah just over the course of that freshman cross country season, I think I took like three minutes off of my five k time from like you know twenty four minutes down to like twenty one minutes and um I just really enjoyed it. I liked you know feeling like I was good at something athletic, which I had never really felt mm-hmm. that way before um, yeah, and the people were just awesome and it just kind of grew from there the more i actually like got in running shape for the first time, the, the kind of better I got. And that's the great thing about the first time you get into running, no matter what age you do, like you see so much progress, it's incredibly motivating and really fun.
0: Definitely. So I am, um, I I saw a photo of you pop up from the Olympic trials marathon. And I just remember seeing you go by you know, half dozen times. It was just with the biggest smile on your face. Can you talk about what that experience was like?
1: Oh my gosh. I swear I didn't go more than five minutes without hearing my (laughs) name or thinking I heard my name in the crowd. And I think almost every runner probably had that experience. The spectator atmosphere was incredible. Like the first three miles of that course, I couldn't, I thought I was going to, my ears were going to ring. Cause it was just so <laughs> loud. It was amazing. And so people come out there and, you know, it's obviously something that I spent a lot of years preparing for and a lot of months really preparing for and thinking about and stressing about, um, and, you know, putting pressure on myself to have the race that I wanted, but also like you get to that weekend and you have dozens of friends who have traveled there to, and family who have traveled there to watch you race and watch other people race. And it's just this like atmosphere of people who love running. And it is, Mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, such a missed opportunity to not at least enjoy that for what it is separate from however your race goes and however much it hurts and all that stuff. So, I mean, as painful as that race was to run with the wind and the hills and all, I mean, it's a marathon, just like, it was like a little hit of gratitude every five minutes of like, Oh, there's the, you know, heartbreakers team. There's the tracksmith team. There's, um, you know, group of my family, group of friends who drove down from North Carolina. Um, it's just, Oh my gosh. I saw a friend. I didn't even know he was, in the state of Georgia, just like alone <laughs> by the side of the road. Shout out to JP Gerald. Um it was just so cool.
0: Um and so you ran it with so you're part of the the TrackSmith uh what is it the Hair Athletic Club is what it's called.
1: Yeah, there's the Hair you see, which is kind of the broader global group that anyone can um join and be a part of. So there's a really big global community and then there's also the Boston segment of the Harry Sea, which is like the, you know, USATF club. So I'm mm-hmm. still, a I am a satellite member of that still.
0: So they, they had what, 150 people wearing their, their singlet, which was pretty cool to see, um, you know, against the sea of other, uh, singlets and team names and all that stuff. So what, what was it like running with a group like that?
1: Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. It was the coolest thing just to see so many people. I mean, whatever percentage of the women's field in particular in that same uniform. Um, I think it's just, uh, makes me really proud to be on that team and see how much they're investing in the sport. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it definitely makes you feel connected to the, the other women in that uniform. Um, you know, you might not recognize someone, but you you see them in that top out on that course and it just gives you a little little smile.
0: When did it get really hard on that day?
1: It's a great question. Um, it, my legs felt pretty cooked at mile 16. And in my experience, your legs shouldn't feel pretty cooked at mile 16 of the marathon. <laughs> That's not a good day. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I think you know, it's a three loop course. It was so windy. Um, I think from the start, like, you know, or from like mile four, cause you're running off all the adrenaline the first couple miles, it was clear it was going to be harder than normal. Um, and there were just a couple of the Hills on the back half of that loop that even the first time you went up them, it was like, Oh man, this is like, this is going to be really hard. Um, and I've got two more loops of this. Um, so the first loop felt pretty good. Second loop was hard, but I felt okay. Like I was still in control of it. And then, yeah, like early on midway through, I guess it would, so maybe like mile 17, like starting that third loop, my quads felt a little, a little wobbly. <laughs> um, and I... Felt like my body switched into that mode of like, you, this is the pace you're running. You can choose to run faster, but your body's not going to respond. Just like, this is what's happening. Um, you know, best laid plans go to waste. You just kind of like, whatever your race plan was for the rest of it, you, you know, you're not really in control. You're just like, I'm, I'm doing what I'm able from here on out.
0: So where do you go? Where do you go mentally in a place like that? How do you, um, how do you reign it, rein it back in?
1: I think I have a really good ability to just be in the moment. Um, whether that's in workouts or in races, just thinking about this is the mile that I'm in right now. This is what I'm doing right this minute. Um, and I, so I just kind of lock into like, let me just exist <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. how can I, how long can I just like exist before? I have to like remind myself that just like, no, just, just wait it out. Um, I always joke that like, okay, you can stop and walk if you, you know, fall over or if you puke, but until then just like keep running.
0: So just keep one foot in front of the other.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really nothing, nothing special, but I think just practicing it. um, You know, I don't, I don't meditate. I've tried and I always forget to do it, but it feels kind of like, mindfulness of just like just observing for as long as possible Mm -hmm. just kind of like observing where you're at checking if your emotions about the situation are reflected in how your body feels and um yeah just kind of like being and just waiting to see what happens
0: what's your least favorite workout
1: oh my gosh least favorite workout so i'm like not great at speed um i can get there like i i'm i'm very happy with my like 10k 5k prs like they're pretty good um but i have a really hard time like getting up to a pace that i probably should be running in anything under like 600 meters (laughs) um So, I would say yeah, just anything speed related like there's something about the like the intensity of it or like the the feeling of trying really hard feels different to me than the feeling of trying really hard in like a 10 by mile tempo. Yeah, yeah or like a tempo. Um I'm very comfortable and very used to a long marathon half marathon type workout and i'm much less used to the um the feel yeah there's like kind of the feeling that comes along with working hard in that shorter stuff
0: will you use this time to refine that
1: yeah so this week is the kickoff of kind of a block of of speed work um the past eight weeks were just kind of like general base building with some strides and you know uh 150s maybe some hills and now and then I took a week break and now um yeah I am moving into doing some more speed um which is which is really good and um I do have a goal to you know try to take a bunch of time off my my 10k time in the next you know year or so so I see this as like working towards that
0: will you do that in a time trial are you saving that for a race
1: um, TBD. I don't, I don't know. Um, I would love to, you know, cross my fingers that there'll be some kind of track races into the summer if possible. Um, my guess is those will just be closed and only open to the pros who really need, you know, need those Good races time. for their careers yeah. and need the times. Um, but I haven't talked to my coach about kind of what the, what the end game is with this training block.
0: Got it. Another question from a former fellow North Carol. uh, What's the, what's the phrase North Carolinian, North Carolinian, North Carolinian. Somebody, you got it. Yeah. Somebody from North Carolina, Erin Clark. Um, she wants to know, uh, and we just did a podcast last week. So that one, that one was super fun. Um, how did you get your amazing perspective on healthy running, like prioritizing rest?
1: Oh my gosh. I, first of all, I love you, Erin. Um, she just moved, like two weeks ago, and we miss her dearly already. Um, you know, I think I can always tell what the right thing to do is. And um, going back to you know, women being conditioned as girls to be good, you know, growing up too, I I was always like, I, I should do the right thing. I know how to do the right thing in school and in running. Um and yeah, I just, I think I take a really logical approach to my running where I'm like, okay, well, you know, taking a rest day, like everybody knows it's the right thing to do. It's really hard to do, but, um, I just kind of like make a decision and then like, let that decision be what it is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's good and bad. I'm definitely driven by like feeling like I'm doing the the quote unquote right thing. But I think when it comes to actual like physical training, it works in my favor.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I, I saw a paper that said that people who are um, intrinsically motivated are more likely to be injured and avoid rest and taking time off than people who are Extrinsically motivated, so like focused on goal, uh, like a race as a goal hmm. versus like I just want to get better. And so I'm wondering where where do you fit on that spectrum of um, like where does the motivation come from?
1: That's really interesting because like I I think I do have pretty high intrinsic motivation. I will. Um, train by myself, like do a hard workout by myself and have kind of, I would obviously prefer company, but like have no problem with that. Kind Mm of blaze my own path and just do what I want to be doing or feel, I guess, feel like I, I need to be doing. Um, So I've always equated that with being intrinsically motivated. I don't know if it is now that I think about it though. Um, I would say I'm somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, right? Like I was saying earlier that I am motivated by um, wanting to prove to myself what I can do. And um, those motivations come from extrinsic results of proving to myself, you know, you can be top whatever at this national level race, you can run whatever time. Um, But I also like the training more than the racing. So I think I'm, I think I'm somewhere (laughs) in the middle.
0: (laughs) Got it. Cool. Uh, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording was the relationship between mental health and running. Um, obviously something I've talked at length about on the podcast. So it's something near and dear to me. Um, I want to hear about your experience with mental health and how that has, um, grown and evolved over the years.
1: Yeah. So, um, my senior year in high school, uh, you know, I think I had a lot of just like stress and pressure, like a lot of high school seniors do. And I had what I, I kind of realized in retrospect were like a couple panic attacks. Um, and it kind of happened and like the acute stress went away and, um, didn't really think too much of it after that. Um, Yeah. And I went to college and I had a pretty rough freshman year. Um, you know, I started on my school's track team and then ended up leaving the team. Um, and so then going into my sophomore year, I channeled all of my like confusion around my, you know, lost identity as an athlete into school and, um, didn't really like realize that I needed to like, mourn that loss. Um, and I think also didn't just put a lot of pressure on myself. Like I messed up and I ruined this opportunity for myself, um, without kind of recognizing the part that, you know, other people also played in it. Um, and so I ended up really depressed my sophomore year. Um, I had, you know, really horrible insomnia. Um, And kind of didn't realize that it was like, okay, there's something else going on here uh, until midway through that year. And my mom kind of like noticed and was like, you need to actually like talk to someone and get some help. So the second half of my sophomore year of college, I started seeing a therapist, um, started on some medication and just like worked through my kind of that moment of really severe, the most severe depression I've had. Um, And then since, since then, you know, it's been, you know, a little like 10 years since then, I think it comes and goes, um, in moments of change or transition or stress, um, I can go through kind of more noticeable depressive phases. Um, I think I'm, my mood is always kind of a little bit on, on the edge of that, um, but manageable until, you know, certain big changes will happen. Um, with my move to North Carolina this past summer, I definitely felt kind of another wave of, of those feelings. And, um, yeah, I just had a pretty tough fall in terms of kind of going through just waves of dealing with that. Um, and think about moving, or like, just in general, trying to find a new doctor is it takes forever. It is so hard to like, find someone you want to go see whether it's a, you know, therapist or some other kind of medical professional and then like get on their schedule. So, so I realized like midway through the fall that like I am, you know, feeling really depressed need to talk to someone. Um, like I said earlier, I'm very decisive. So I found like the one person that I really wanted to talk to. And she was booked. <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, well, I can't do anything about it. Cause like, I'm, you know, sad and feeling incapable of like taking further action. So I just kind of like dealt with it. Um, and then
0: what does that mean?
1: Um, basically means like biweekly crying fits, uh, which wasn't great. Um, my boyfriend was very supportive. Um, and you know, understanding of like, this is how I'm feeling at this moment. Um, but it, yeah, it was just hard. Um, and I, you know, we, we went back to Boston for, you know, a chunk of time for, for the holidays. And I, I expected to feel kind of another wave of that, you know, grief coming back home to North Carolina after the holidays, but for whatever reason, that kind of like pulled me out of it a little bit. And coming back after the new year, I felt this feeling of like being being more grounded. Um and you know, I've I never really moved anywhere new. I grew up in the same hometown. Um went away for college and then moved back to Boston after college and lived there for seven or eight years. So um it was just not, you know, that like making new friends and like building a new life was just never something that I'd had to had to figure out. And it's, I think it's just hard. And the nice thing down here is that a lot of people um move in and out for school and for jobs. And so I, you know, found friends here in North Carolina who said, Yeah, you know, it took me a year to feel really settled. It took me 18 months to feel really settled and connected. And so hearing those people's perspectives was really helpful. Um, so I, yeah, I was really grateful to kind of come through it. And then in January, that therapist was like, Hey, I have an opening now. So I finally got connected with her and I was feeling good about kind of the move transition. Um, but I was feeling a lot of anxiety around training for the trials actually. Um, I felt like there was so much attention on the, the race, um, or just kind of like the, the field of people. And I think it's really incredible, like the way that, um, one, there's like the number of people who were able to qualify for the trials and the, um, the attention that, you know running media has given to this, this group of us, um, you know, 400 something qualifiers, but it was honestly hard not to feel like compare myself to anyone I saw who was like in an article or in an interview or on Instagram. Um, The just kind of that feeling of comparison was very intense for me because you're all training for the exact same thing. And you're all, you know, you've achieved the exact same thing. And, um, in my head, it was, it felt like, ai I don't know what the word for it is, but like, it felt like everybody was being stacked up against each other in terms of like recognition and like validation by being publicly recognized, which is totally like the downfall of all, like there's so many good things about social media. And so like, I'm truly so happy that, there is this kind of like rebirth of like women's running that is totally rightfully getting the attention it deserves. But it, yeah, it's just really hard to feel like, Oh wow. Like where do I stack up? How, how much do people care about me compared to 450 other people? Um, And so I think what I, what I've been trying to work on is like, you know, valuing how I feel about me rather than valuing how I think, everybody else feels about me because really i'm never gonna be able to control that and also my my interpretation of what it meant when someone else got an article written about them like was wrong like it had nothing to do with me and so i just like i'm still learning through like to have that confidence in myself and who i am um which feels so So strange yeah go ahead no go ahead I was just saying, it feels, you know, it feels so strange to say that at like age 30, that like, I don't have that confidence. Um, but, you know, whenever you got to confront it in your life, you got to confront it at some point.
0: Yeah. So how did you rectify standing on the start line with 400 plus women around you um, in a race that was bringing you anxiety, knowing like, shit, the gun's going to go off and... Now it's a test.
1: Yeah. When I'm actually out there in the world and like interacting with people, I feel like it, that anxiety goes away. Um, and being around people, like I did get so much true like joy and excitement from being in that environment. Um, it's really just when I'm like left my own devices and I kind of, my brain like makes me feel completely isolated, um, that it gets to me. Um, I do think that the, the days leading up to the race, I felt pretty drained from, from that kind of like comparison game, just cause there's so much going on and like so much stress and like people everywhere. And it was just a really intense weekend, but, um, yeah, actually like, getting on the starting line and actually like you know seeing people who you know I'm friends with who live in other cities who are racing or you know people I've seen at other races like that actually like brings me confidence and comfort for some reason, so probably something I need to figure out but um, at least like
0: is it something you talked about with your therapist? Um,
1: the difference between how I felt before the race and during the race isn't something we've talked about, so I Now I do want to talk to her about that. But yeah, once I get to the starting line and once I get going, like I have a lot of confidence in my abilities. It's just like my like reptile comparison brain that really gets me beforehand.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, I think I, for, you know, temperamental reasons, just really care a lot about what people think of me. Um, don't know the root of that it could just be the way that i am um and it could be like a part of a high achieving kind of you know academic career and whatever of just like everything is you know you know you where you how you get into college or what you're you know what grades you get depend on how people perceive you to be successful and um right.
0: it's like a protectant yeah. mechanism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, well um I should yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> so how do you how do you use social media in a way that doesn't send you down those rabbit holes? Or or I think you were saying it sometimes it does.
1: Yeah. Um I the thing is I love the sport of running like I'm a huge running fan so um I do I mean like a lot of what I follow on Twitter and on Instagram relates to running um I think yeah I just have to like put a time limit on it and kind of recognize if something is making me feel bad rather than like 20 minutes into it realizing that it's making me feel bad um and it's totally like my mindset on a certain day, right? Like I could read a tweet and feel one way about it one day and then read it and feel a different way about it. So, um, you know, I've, I've worked on like reframing thoughts a lot with my therapist and, um, you know, looking at, okay, when I'm, when I'm like emotionally reacting to something or having negative thoughts, like, what are the facts? And just kind of like stepping back from it and, you know, reaffirming other things I know or um just kind of changing my perspective on it. So I don't know. I just try to like I do have that timer on my phone where it, you know, tells me after an hour total of Instagram time per day um that I can't log in. Um Yeah. So just being conscious of of what I'm consuming and also realizing that like it's on me if I'm reacting a certain way. So like either unfollow or like, you know, keep on scrolling.
0: Yeah. That's, that's like a powerful and super underutilized tool. I recently unfollowed a lot of people and um, maybe not all of them were because of this reason, but like I'm like you, I'm turning 30. I'm in a period of my life when everybody around me is getting married and, um, having kids and, you know, like for whatever reason I, I don't enjoy seeing that. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like it sounds ridiculous to say, but like, like if all you post about is your child, like I'm probably going to unfollow you because it's not, it's not a, and that's on me, but it's my, it's my account and I can do what I want with it. Um, and it's, like I said, it's, it sounds ridiculous to say, but like, that's what I need to do for my own mental health around the use of social media and like not sending myself down rabbit holes where I know I shouldn't be going because my life is one way and I want it to be another.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And it's totally not a judgment on the other person. It's just like, right how you're responding to it because of your like circumstances at the moment
0: right now if this um if this account is lots of dog posts like that's aspirational in a different way <laughs> and I'm totally okay with it so I don't know what that difference is but uh, or what it says about me but um anyways um a couple more maybe lighter questions um Another one from Brian Kent. He, I'm gonna have to start charging him for for his questions, or maybe just uh, connect you two directly. I'm yeah, we kidding. can
1: have a follow up <laughs> private conversation. <laughs>
0: uh, what you, so you're in um, you're in a pretty good uh, place in North Carolina in terms of the brewery scene. What's your What's your favorite beer?
1: Oh my gosh, um, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm like a knowledgeable beer drinker. Um, and as a New Englander, I and partial to IPAs. Um, I
0: was going to ask you an IPA person. (laughs) Of
1: course. I'm from Massachusetts. But recently I've realized that hazy IPAs are a thing and I'm really enjoying those. Um, Okay. The Oscar Blues Brewery is a couple hours west of here and we picked up a kind of mixed pack of beer from them a couple weekends ago. And I've been really liking whatever their hazy IPA is called. Nice, which I don't know what that
0: is. Um, it sounds delicious. I've been on a sour a sour beer kick for um
1: the past year. interesting. so and I that's... enjoy the taste of a sour beer, but I wouldn't want more than like three or four ounces of it
0: so I, I I'm sort of similar, like I like three quarters of it, and then the like the remaining quarter is like, all right, fine, I'll drink it too but. <laughs> Um, maybe it's just because of how cold it is or the crispness wears off or I don't, I don't know what it is, but, um, more research is definitely necessary.
1: And do you, are you able to eat and drink your sour beer at the same time? Like, does yes. it mess with the flavor?
0: Big fan of doing both at the same time.
1: Interesting. For me, it just feels like such a strong fruity type flavor that I'm less inclined to like also eat my pizza.
0: Interesting. At the same time. Um, I I would much rather be like sitting outside, just enjoying this lovely sour beer, which I might do like very soon um, in the sunshine and, you know, not have it paired with food. But if it's paired with food, particularly pizza, even better.
1: Okay. I'll try that out.
0: Yeah, it's Again, it's summertime. So, you know, you can research this one and uh, take the time to to spend uh, um, testing it out.
1: Yeah. Well, let me just... Hype an off brand, it's not even beer. Willie's Super Brew. I love it. Oh my gosh, it's the most delicious, drinkable can of summer fun. But Definitely that's the ginger. That,
0: one. that one's a hard kombucha. Yeah,
1: right? I think you're right.
0: So, I I don't know what the, I have a very odd story on that one. I'm not sure that I can share it publicly, but (laughs) (laughs) we could talk about that one later. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, What do you wish you knew today? Sorry. What do you wish you knew when you started running that you know today?
1: Ooh, I'm going to have to think on that for a minute. Oh my gosh. I'm like totally stumped. What's,
0: like, what's a lesson you've learned, like, over and over again that maybe you don't yet know?
1: Still thinking. It's,
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's not the, it's not the rest day one, because I know you're a prolific, uh, rest day bragger.
1: Yeah, what did I wish I knew? Um, love my rest day. I, okay, this is, like, super basic, but, um, practical tip for people that i've just the past maybe like two years i've really sworn by is like no matter how short the run like always eat or drink within 30 minutes of your run i'm a big Mm -hmm. proponent of just like the individual chocolate milk juice boxes um and i honestly feel like it makes a huge difference in terms of like like fatigue and injury prevention to do that i have no idea if that's scientifically accurate but i am like a strong proponent of consuming something right after you run, even if it's just an easy run.
0: Totally. My coach wrote an article for trail runner magazine that looked at, um, intraday, uh, caloric deficits. So not, not full day deficits, but even deficits that just occur, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon or post run. Um, and there's a, there's a increased likelihood of injury when this happens regularly. So um, hmm. yes, you're you're definitely on to something there and have your, have your chocolate milk.
1: Yes, awesome. I love when I, <laughs> science backs me up.
0: <laughs> awesome, We're, we'll close with that. Uh, where can we find you on social media?
1: Um, so I'm at EN Spencer on Twitter and Instagram. I don't post a whole lot, but mainly I post my Instagram stories when I find something funny or weird. I'll go on like a streak like all day I'll post like something crazy and then like not post for a couple of days, but check it out for dog content for sure. And yeah, that's it. I'm on Strava cool. too.
0: Awesome. I have two, two questions that I missed from Mark Vitor. He'd be mad if I didn't ask them. Yeah. he would. Um,
1: How <laughs> hot is
0: it in the South?
1: Um, it's really hot. It, I would say, I remember the last week of September last year, it was 97 degrees um, last week of September. And I flew to Minnesota for a race and it was like 40 degrees there, which was (laughs) just bananas. But yeah, it's like a solid 100 during the day. And the craziest thing is that it's in the morning, it's like 70 and 100% humidity. So your choices are either like sweat a bunch because it's humid or sweat a bunch because like it's just so hot.
0: Yeah, that's a tough, tough call. Um, when is she moving back home?
1: <laughs> well, Mark I'm misses definitely.
0: you at at uh, at Cortado Club, I guess.
1: I mean, sometimes I do my my solo Cortado. I'm missing those <laughs> runs, but Mark knows there's great cycling down here. He should just come down here. Um, we're here for five years. My boyfriend is in a residency program, so talk to me in. We've already done one year. So talk to me in four years.
0: <laughs> um, I've done some. So I have a, I have a coworker who lives in Charlotte and every time I complain about how warm it is in Boston, she's like, no, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, yeah, I feel you on that. And the cycling is, is incredible there. Uh, yes. Well, awesome. Um, Emma, thanks so much for chatting today and uh, we'll see you out there hopefully soon and hopefully with a Cortado at the end of it in Boston.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.